G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Life, Culture and Current Events from a Biblical Perspective, 2020 on Vision. As we do on a Monday, like to check in on the latest getting the week underway political agenda with the Australian Christian Lobby. Martin Isles is Managing Director of the ACL. Martin's back with us. Hi, Martin. Welcome back to 2020. G'day, Neil. Good to be with you again. Martin, we spent a little bit of time last week looking through some issues around what happened in the Australian Capital Territory. New, what uh, are interestingly coined anti-conversion laws. Uh, They've got an interesting last-minute fix uh, that may well expose something of the real agenda of what's happened in the ACT. You're talking to us from Canberra today. Uh, What are your thoughts on what happened last week? Yeah, this was uh, kind of a, a, a sad precedent, I said, that I guess that was set for the nation in Canberra where these laws were passed, uh, despite, I might say, heroic efforts, particularly by the Christian community down here. Uh, the politicians in Canberra have said that they've never seen such an outpouring of concern from the community on any issue. Uh, and some people who have been in the ACT Legislative Assembly for a long time uh, actually said that, uh, and one uh, Labor MLA was overheard saying that she had never encountered people of such conviction. Um, and uh, I think that's a tremendous testimony to the hundreds upon hundreds um, of people who called in to speak to their politicians and to raise these concerns. Uh, and what that did was it galvanised the uh, Liberal opposition here to take a really strong stand against the bill, to speak against it, Uh, and to propose very substantial amendments that would have meant that parents would not be made criminals uh, simply because they might uh, have a five-year-old or a nine-year-old who comes home and says, hey, I'm not a boy, I'm a girl, and the parent might say, well, you know, let's wait and see, or, you know, let's not, uh, you know, Tommy, don't wear the dress in the shops just yet, you know, and things like that. Anything less than affirming that child's felt um, gender identity, they could have been made, well, they will, they could be made criminals, but... uh, the ACT opposition put up some amendments to try and stop that. And that was a tremendous outcome. And also the media narrative changed. Um, the ACT Law Society came out in the press, uh, and so too did even ABC journalists and others. And they started talking about the threat that this bill was to parents and how dangerous it was for parents' rights. And we've never had these laws talked about in that context, which is the true danger of them. And so I want to say thank you to all the supporters and the Christian community and the ACT who made those changes possible. And the government themselves uh, got very concerned for a time and were reaching out to different Christian groups to try and hose down the issues. And they moved an amendment of their own. However, the amendment didn't go far. What they did was they changed the explanatory memorandum of the bill to say that it's not intended that a mere statement of religious belief uh, would be considered to be conversion therapy and therefore unlawful. Um, But, of course, that doesn't really help us because a parent who has a concern for their child may not be religious. It may not be a religious concern, 
And also, that's not a mere statement of a religious concern. That's something more. It's an action towards a child. Or indeed, if you take a pastor in a pulpit who might be saying, well, God's design is male and female, and God's design is for one man to marry one woman uh, to the exclusion of all others for life. Well, uh, that's they won't. They will go a little further than that. They won't merely state that belief. They will exhort people to follow that belief. Uh, and so the amendment that they've put in um, doesn't go very far and shows just how unwilling this present government was to address the real concerns that were raised very loudly in the public and in the press. So exposing something of what they truly believe. Well, all of this called conversion therapy and laws dealing with that, and I do note... Uh, that the expression that best describes what's happened is this idea of anti-conversion laws. Now, conversion is still the main word in there. Uh, Of course, as we always say, the Christian church is only really interested in one conversion. That is conversion to Jesus Christ. But when you've got these laws that are called now anti-conversion laws, laws dealing with conversion therapy in the ACT, and with the idea that there is a weaponizing. Uh, sections of the community to attack one another in the courts. This is such a concerning thing, Martin. And uh, the cat's out of the bag. As you say, the rest of the nation will be looking at what happened in the ACT and likely there to take a lead. What are your thoughts on, on, on what could come for the future? Well, first of all, I think you're right, Neil, in the fact that, uh, you know, the, the idea of conversion therapy is a terribly confused idea. It's not a Christian idea. I always say, well, conversion is one thing. That's an act of God. Uh, and therapy is another thing. That's what people do to each other. And the two words don't really belong together. There's no such thing as conversion therapy. You know, so it's a horribly confused concept. that's not a Christian concept. And so we're all sitting here trying to figure out what it means. And of course, what it really means is the things we've described. It, it's an infringement on parents' rights. It's an infringement on pastors in their pulpits. It makes Christian schools um, you know, in great danger of, of legal action for simply teaching Christian beliefs. Now, it's really, really sad, actually, and it's a, it's a terrible precedent to set. And you mentioned, well, what of the future? Well, two concerns. The first one is that in the ACT, where these laws have passed, uh, you may start to see um, activists using the laws to take people before the Human Rights Commission for doing things they disagree with. So they might find a Christian pastor who wants to preach a biblical view of sexuality and they might take him to the ACT Human Rights Commission and try and get fines imposed against him and to intimidate him and to intimidate the other pastors in his denomination or his church. Uh, And they might do the same indeed to parents who they can pick on. And this is what the activists do. They're a mean bunch uh, and they use these Human Rights Commissions a lot. Now, ACL is standing at the ready with legal teams to help people with that uh, and to raise the profile of those stories so that we can push back against these laws. But also it sets the precedent for other states in two ways. The first way is that other states might look to this as a model, but I'm hopeful that other states will also look at what happened here in the ACT and say, well, unfortunately the cover was blown on those laws and the community there got really upset and found out what was really going on and it was a real headache for the government. And so I think other states where governments aren't as secure as they are in the ACT, they're not as likely to be re-elected, they might actually lose the government uh, in the next election. I think governments in places like South Australia, Western Australia, New South Wales will be a little more circumspect before they introduce these laws and might be a little more worried about the possibility of community pushback. So that's one of the good legacies to come out of this experience. Perhaps we have a chance 
uh, to make laws in other states far less draconian. Uh, Martin, let me just take us into something which I think for many listeners is going to be very murky waters. And uh, just to spring this on you, uh, in the ACT, uh, one of the main drivers behind these laws, as you say, that will weaponise certain sections of the community to use against the church, well, the ACT Attorney-General is in fact a uniting church minister. Now, this is very interesting, and uh, he was taking great pride in delivering this sort of legislation uh, in the ACT last week, and I wonder whether you've got any thoughts around uh, that very fact, that in some sense here, while we're talking about laws that weaponise part of the community to use the courts as a weapon against the church, uh, this is actually being driven by someone who would say that they are a minister of the gospel. Yeah, well, I think that's really tragic, Neil. Um, really, really sad indeed. Because what these laws do is they under, they 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 attack the preaching of conversion. That's what they attack. Not conversion therapy or anything crazy like that, but just the mere preaching of the gospel in conversion. The fact that change happens to a person when they're saved, uh, that they go from you know one life to another life, that they're a new creation in Christ. Uh, there's a whole bunch of good things that God calls us to, including sexual purity and including you know, living out what God's designed us to be as a man or a woman, uh, and all of those things. And those are the things we step into when we're saved and converted by the power of God. Uh, and uh, it, attacks, it attacks the preaching of that message. And so for someone who claims to be a minister of the gospel to uh, be complicit in that, I think is very, very grave and very serious. But it shows something else, which is that a lot of the politicians and activists who back these laws One of the things that they really want to see, and they have no hope of achieving this, but one of the things they really want to see is that they want the church to change. They want the church to change what it teaches, and they want the church to be forced to change. And you'll get a few, like this Uniting Church Minister and Attorney General in the ACT, and you'll get a few tiny congregations scattered here and there who are activist congregations who are trying to change things. But the great bulk of what the church teaches will never change, and it has never changed. Uh, and unfortunately, you know, um, that, that can't change because God doesn't change. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. His scriptures and his word don't change, and Jesus doesn't change. And so uh, it's a losing mission that they're on. And I always say to people at this point, you know, I've read the book, the Bible, and I know how it ends, and I know who wins. <laughs> so, you know, those who are opposed to the gospel will not be victorious ultimately, but you can see what their agenda is, and they want to see the church change. And it's our job, I suppose, to continue to be people of conviction, and continue to proclaim truth, even when it gets a little bit difficult, um, because, uh, you know, God relies on that to continue to do his work in the world. And as uh, one conversation I had around this, uh, just in this last few days, around the Uniting Church, because there are so many rock-solid, wonderful Christian believers in the Uniting Church who continue to hold out a ray of hope for the future within the Uniting Church. Uh, The idea, though, that some of the machinery that drives the Uniting Church has in some way been hijacked by another uh, another influence there, which is taking the Uniting Church machinery in a, in a different direction. I wonder, uh, don't want to sort of bring you into something where you need to say something divisive. I've just put it out there, Martin. Any any thoughts on, on what's happening in the Uniting Church around these things these days? Yeah, look, I would say this. Um, you know, there is an impression out there, particularly in the media, 
that the church is this mixture of liberal and conservative and that you do have those like, for example, uh, I'd say the majority of the Uniting Church congregations now uh, would be very liberal conversations on issues of, you know, um, particularly current social issues and sexuality being one and gender identity being one and Marxism being one and all that. Uh, And you do have, it's true, uh, I think a large number of Uniting Churches who are, but not all of them, but but a large number who are are very strongly liberal. Um, And there'd be a couple of others. But here's the thing. What they willfully ignore and and, and what is the true state of the church in Australia is that the church in Australia is overwhelmingly biblically faithful. Uh, And that's one of the things I get to see because I travel around this country length and breadth uh, every week. Uh, With coronavirus, it's been not so much, but so much traveling around I have done. Uh, and I, I stand in churches and I meet church leaders and all sorts of denominations. And overwhelmingly on these issues, the church in Australia is solid as a rock. They know what scripture declares. They know what's good. They know what's right. And, and, and that has really encouraged me. And I think that there is sometimes a false view that's out there, that, that, that it's a really mixed bag. It's not actually. There is a fringe and, uh, you know, that aspect of the Uniting Church, and again, you're right, Neil, there are many people in the Uniting Church who are wonderful uh, and really, really solid. Uh, but that aspect of the Uniting Church that's gone down that road is, is shrinking very, very, very rapidly. It seems that as soon as they go down that road, it falls apart. Because when the church is the same as the world, what's the point of the church? Why would you even go? Uh, and so there's a lot of, you know, and we, we find that that's happening. And so I want people to be encouraged. But even though the media give, give a great platform to those alternative voices in the church, I can tell you first-hand experience, they surely are a minority. Well, Martin, let's move on from there. Lots more we could say, but uh, let's tackle a, a very quick other view or two on some of the other big issues, and there's so many we won't be able to get through a big, long agenda. But in Tasmania, the controversial euthanasia bill has landed in the parliament, and uh, it's been opposed by the Australian Medical Association. What are your thoughts on what's happening in Tassie? Well, that's encouraging, isn't it, I think, for the AMA to come out and oppose it because, um, uh, and I've been encouraged with some of these professional bodies and the ACT with conversion therapy. We had the ACT Law Society come out and oppose and we had the AMA in Queensland come out and oppose conversion therapy in Queensland. So these professional bodies are actually reading this legislation closely and they've read the Tasmanian Euthanasia Bill closely and they've realised a range of things. One is that you, it can facilitate suicide by people who are not terminally ill. It can facilitate suicide from people who are afraid of the future. Uh, it can, and, and, and that's all, <laughs> you know, not actually, uh, as I said, terminally. It can facilitate suicide um, um, by people um, who have not had psychiatric assessments uh, and simply are suffering from, um, you know, a, a depression and things like that. So the bill is, is a huge problem. It basically is a, a suicide bill, and that, it's as simple and it's as brazen as that. Um, and the safeguards are simply not there, and the checks and balances are simply not there. I think that's a very wicked thing to do in a society, to legalise suicide under any circumstances, but especially under such broad circumstances. And the AMA have come out and said, well, yeah, this bill is deficient, and so they should. Uh, And so, you know, ACL is very, very active in Tassie. We're doing an awful lot of activism on this, and it's our prayer that we can block it. Um, And uh, politicians are slowly waking up to the problem, Uh, Will they wake up in time? We appreciate prayers on that. 
Martin, let's talk through some issues around the possibility of a COVID-19 vaccine because the federal government has uh, really, in some sense, uh, wandered into a bioethical storm around a COVID vaccine, uh, even had the leaders of some of our major churches here in Australia expressing their concerns about the Oxford University vaccine, which has some sourced cell line that comes from an aborted baby. Uh, is there any sort of official position that the Australian Christian lobby is taking on that issue? Yeah, Neil, I mean, this is a, a very, very, controversial one and uh, invariably I upset people when I talk about it because people are on both sides of the issue. Uh, But, you know, just to be very clear about uh, vaccines, um, on the whole, I'm not an anti-vaccine person. However, I understand and I I know I've done the research, there are a few vaccines in Australia, actually there's four, um, where they, in the research and development process that created those vaccines, there was the use of what they call a cell line, which is, you know, cells that they use for their scientific experiments and so on. And that cell line is replicated and it's shipped all over the world and biotech companies use it, etc. But that cell line actually originated uh, in the 1960s or 70s from an electively aborted fetus. And so there's a very real pro-life concern around these four vaccines in Australia. Uh, These are four vaccines that not only relied on that cell line, which had its origins in an aborted fetus when it was developed, uh, but the vaccines also don't have an ethical alternative. Uh, And so I appreciate uh, very much the pro-life concern that people have around the use of those vaccines. And I think it's valid. And I think that the government needs to uh, respect that objection. And I want to just hasten to add that the aborted fetus cells are not in the vaccine. Uh, they were used in the development of the vaccine, and that's the nature of the the problem. Um, now, the government has come out and said, OK, we're going to back a vaccine you know, developed by Oxford University for coronavirus. Uh, what's the problem? Well, actually, this vaccine that's being developed by Oxford University relies upon one of these cell lines that originated from an aborted fetus in, I think, 1972. Uh, and, uh, and so, therefore, this pro-life problem uh, is relevant to that vaccine as well, and it's an ethical issue. And a number of church leaders have written to the Prime Minister uh, and have said that, you know, this really (laughs) isn't great, and if you want to maximise uptake of the vaccine, you shouldn't be backing one that has a pro-life concern uh, because people will, and validly so, uh, object to that vaccine because of their pro-life concerns. And uh, fortunately, we have secured assurances from uh, the government that firstly, it won't be mandatory, But second, and we don't, you know, we have to keep a watch on that because we don't know how coercive they might get. Otherwise, they've said it won't be mandatory. But secondly, uh, they have said that they will back an ethical alternative vaccine that will be available a few months after the Oxford vaccine. So nobody will be forced to violate their pro-life convictions here. They will be able to have an ethical alternative which used a different cell line in its development. Well, it'll be a matter of watching this space. Uh, No doubt we'll talk some more about this as the vaccine becomes more uh, obviously available in a time frame. But Martin Isles, always good getting your insights. Thanks for getting your head around some tough issues this morning. Martin Isles is the Managing Director of the Australian Christian Lobby. The website is acl.org.au and I always give that website and encourage you to visit it because you'll find all sorts of good resources, you'll find good articles, you'll find opinions that will help to shape your own thoughts on issues becoming from a Christian perspective. And of course with a couple of 
Elections coming up, no doubt you'll want to familiarise yourself with some of the issues around Christian concerns around those two elections, one coming up in the ACT, one coming up in the state of Queensland. Martin Isles, thanks so much for taking some time to update us today on 2020. Always a pleasure, Neil. Thank you. Thanks for taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, go to vision.org.au.